Welcome to the Sports Squire Podcast, a platform engineered specifically for you to deliver content relative to the fields of training, performance, and rehabilitation. Challenge the status quo and raise your game through changing your mindset and your action. As you embark on your journey as a sports squire, subscribe to the show to get real-time updates to new episodes. Don't miss an opportunity to apply what you've learned today. Explore, engage, learn, implement, benefit. This is the way of the sports squire. Welcome, sports squire community. I'm your host, Brad Howe. I'm a former collegiate athlete, exercise enthusiast, and physical therapist in the realm of orthopedics and sports rehab over the last decade. Episode number 11, Sports Squire Order of Wellness Operations. With anything in life, creating order and structure can be extremely helpful in order to give clarity to certain steps that you need to take in order to go on a progressive, continual path. And for this platform specifically, being a platform that identifies educational content that can help you on your personal wellness journey, I wanted to create some steps and some order of operations for all of us to be able to prioritize our efforts in regards to what is most important, but also give opportunity to different compartmentalized focus parts and segments of this order of operations of personal wellness that we all really need to pay more attention to. And I think with with having more attention to these steps, I think you'll see a huge difference in your ability to progressively lead yourself down a more healthier lifestyle that can feed energy for yourself and allow you to feed energy to other people. So starting out as an overview, one to seven, one being the top priority out of all of the steps of the Sports Squire Wellness Operations, and then seven being the least priority. Every single one of these steps is extremely important. And you can't embark on a holistic wellness approach without identifying and targeting each of these areas that I'm going to be talking about. So number one, first and foremost, the top priority is spiritual and mental. Number two is cardiovascular. Number three is hydration. Number four is nutrition. Five, neuromuscular. Six, musculoskeletal. And seven, recovery. We're going to dive into each one of these different orders of operation, starting from one all the way down to seven. But before we do that, I want to just go back to some of the principles and founding principles that I laid out in how to become a sports squire, because I think it's really important for all of us to really uh, embrace the, the learning and engagement and implementation process before we actually reap the benefits And I know you hear in the intro of every single segment of Sports Squire, explore, engage, learn, implement, and benefit. And the explore, engage, learn, it's it's extremely crucial to empowering long-term change. And this is hopefully why you're listening to this podcast, is that you're looking for behavioral and lifestyle change that can make a big splash on your day-to-day activities. And, And essentially then, as you move down towards implementation and benefiting, you're reaping the benefits of discipline training. And that's ultimately what I want every single one of you to carry away is that framework of repetition and exploring, engaging, learning, implementing, and benefiting. So go on that journey with us as we go down each of these each of these orders of wellness operations. So number one, 
spiritual and mental wellness. I've spoken on previous episodes about the importance of gratitude, the importance of you know, having faith tied to purpose. And I just want to park on that a little bit today because number one, I think having an impact with purpose and being able to translate that into other areas of your life is, is certainly something that can help to fuel your your passion and give you energy with different things that you're doing throughout your days and throughout your your life and, and your career and your family and, and all of that. And I want to park on on just that purpose just a little bit. But I also want to just, you know, essentially give kind of my personal stance in regards to, to, to what I see in regards to the, the spiritual side of things and how that can help play into the type of person that I am and the type of focus that I have in regards to my wellness lifestyle. And I know I've shared with you and how to become a sports squire, Hebrews 12, 11. And I want to go one step further and go a little past Hebrews 12, 11 and just read this to you all to better identify with part of my why on doing this this podcast platform, but also um, what I really, really encourage everyone to dig into is how physical activity and how discipline can really help all of us in different areas of our lives to to seek higher uh, levels than we, we probably thought that we could obtain. So starting out, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. You know, my, my journey as a uh, physical therapist, you know, having an undergrad in exercise science, wellness has been part of my DNA for several years, going on 20 years. If you go back even to to my days of playing college basketball or playing high school sports or youth sports, it's probably even longer than that. But I, I think it's really encouraging to find scripture that really molds my mind and and aligns with my spirit in regards to knowing, you know, what levels of discipline and, and what executing discipline on a regular basis can do for me and you know, my family and those around me and, and knowing that some of the things that you all are going to be implementing because of the knowledge that you're receiving on this platform and because of the conviction that the good Lord or whatever you want to call from above our creator has has given you, you just need to remember that verse and just know that when you do get those convictions to get out and to get moved, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be tough at first and there's going to be times where you don't feel like doing things. And I just want to encourage all of you to to push past that because what you'll quickly realize is that you'll have that level of peace and righteousness that Hebrews 12:11 talks about when you're actually trained by that regular training program. So, looking at I, I read a book and and I know not every single person that listens to this podcast is a parent uh, I know some of you out there may not even have any intentions of being a parent, but I think with all things leadership, I think it's important to to really focus on children and knowing how uh, how hot and uh, fragile you know the world is in regards to certain topics and and heated up things around this year's election. You know, to me, my wife and I've had some very deep conversations that you know this world is going to be changed through children, 
and through changing their paradigms for the better and, and allowing them to be open and, enc- and encouraged and having platforms to, to help them to grow into health and, and lifelong thriving. And I read a book three, four years ago called The Spiritual Child by Lisa Miller. She's a PhD out of uh, Columbia University. She's you know director of clinical psychology there at Columbia and is also the director of spirituality in the Mind Body Institute. I think she's also the co-editor and the chief of the American Psychological Association with the journal Spirituality and Clinical Practice, which is a mouthful. I get it. But she wrote a very extensive book, which for some of you may be pretty dry. But, you know, I read it from front to back and absolutely loved it and fell in love with it. And the spiritual child essentially is is talking about the science and the research on parenting for health and lifelong thriving for your children. And one of the things that really stood out to me is that family units that stick together and that embrace a level of spirituality in regards to a creator create structure and what they've shown through research is that there's less suicide rates, there's less depression, there's less anxiety, there's less, uh, you know, premarital pregnancy and, and all of the, the negative impacts that can come, you know, through anyone, you know, navigating adolescence, drugs, you know, all those different types of things. And, you know, ultimately what it came down to is that that family unit was going to, up until the age of 18, solidify that child's experience in regards to their own spirituality. And once they push forward past that that 18-year-old mark, you know, going off to college or going to school, whatever it may be, everyone has different pathways. We tend to find people that have similar values to what that current circle was when we were growing up. Now, let me let me reference that, you know, not all of us had rainbows and, uh, and unicorn, you know, upbringings. And, you know, some of us have paths that, you know, certainly can create some emotional discomfort for us and, and maybe even anger in regards to uh, a lack of parental guidance or, or parental um, presence. But at the same time, you know, I, I think focusing on the research is healthy. And for me, that's what I wanted most out of reading this book. And essentially, so after the age of 18, they went out and they, they looked for those attributes, whether good or bad, of, of what they had been raised up in emotionally and spiritually throughout their time. And for those that took that clean and clear path, you know, there was an opportunity for them to kind of stow away from some of the dangers that some, of, some kids kind of stray into. And uh, what what they eventually found, though, is that, you know, mid-30s, for some reason, this is just a, a very uh, weird phenomena. They, they did a functional MRI study on several people when they were praying, and they've done this through different stages and ages of their lives. And in the middle of the 30s, they found this part in the brain that they don't, they can't really explain well, but it's consistently lights up when, when people pray. And they, they think that as your brain matures, there is an opportunity for your brain to be more receptive to spiritual and, you know, eternal type concepts. And, you know, I've got to think that that's got to be a gift from God. And, you know, for a lot of us that are born again or, you know, have had second chances on certain things, you know, there's there's got to be some ties to some of those phenomena. But, you know, ultimately what I learned out of that book was, you know, what we can create for our children, if you are a parent, it is, there is 
an unbelievable amount of potential influence that you can have within your own household. And you can even have that on children in your neighborhood if they aren't your kids. Uh, you know, obviously the whole saying, it takes a village, it's, it's completely true. You know, having, you know, my, my son around other individuals who are high character people, who are adults, is exactly what I'm striving for. I'm striving for him to have those influences and those uh, models and representation to, to have that healthy benchmark of what it, it means to, to be a lifelong thriving individual. So I park on that because some of us had a void experience in our childhoods, and that's something that we need to either seek professional help on, talk to someone about, or you know have some level of introspective reflection on to, to make sure that we're dealing with the, either the void or the um, you know propelling of some positive things that did happen and making sure that you're creating those similar experiences for your children moving forward. And, and really, that spiritual piece, uh, I think, will help align with your purpose, which is kind of the next piece that I want to talk about. I found this Harvard Business Review, and it's Purpose to Impact. And I just want to read just a little glimpse of this, of this uh, review, because I found this really insightful. To be nobody but yourself in a world which is doing its best night and day to make you everybody else means to fight the hardest battle which any human being can fight and never stop fighting. That was from E.E. E. Cummings. The article goes on to say, finding your leadership purpose is not easy. If it were, we'd all know exactly why we're here and be living that purpose every minute of every day. As E.E. Cummings suggests, we are constantly bombarded by powerful message from parents, bosses, management gurus, advertisers, celebrities about what we should be, smarter, stronger, richer, and about how to lead, empower others, lead from behind, be authentic, distribute power, etc. To figure out who we are in such a world, let alone be nobody but yourself, is indeed hard work. However, our experience shows that when you have a clear sense of who you are, Everything else follows naturally. Some people will come to the purpose to impact journey with a natural bent towards introspection and reflection. Others will find the experience uncomfortable and anxiety-provoking. And anxiety A few will just roll their eyes. We've worked with leaders of all stripes and can attest that even the most skeptical discover personal and professional value in the experience. And what the article is essentially addressing is you know, the, the purpose of leadership, which, you know, the Harvard Business Review has a lot of great uh, business topics, leadership topics. I highly encourage you to go and read some of their stuff that's online. They've got some printed versions of some small books that can be extremely helpful for your development as an individual as well. You know, but essentially what they're talking about in the article is, you know, finding yourself and finding your purpose and being able to create a level of leadership purpose and, and being able to um, create almost a mission for yourself. And, you know, I think one of the, the big takeaways that I had is, you know, having the exercise of actually creating your own leadership purpose mission statement. The first task is to mine your life story to common threads and major themes. The point is to identify your core lifelong strengths, values, and passions, those pursuits that energize you and bring you joy. We use a variety of prompts, but have found three to be the most effective. So I'm going to read those three now. What did you especially love doing when you were a child, before the world told you what you should or shouldn't like or do? 
Describe a moment and how it made you feel. So think about that. Tell us about two of your most challenging life experiences. How have they shaped you? Number three, what do you enjoy doing in your life now that helps you sing your own song? So they strongly recommend grappling with these questions in a small group of a few people because they found that it's almost impossible for people to identify their leadership purpose by themselves and that you can't get a clear picture of yourself without trusted colleagues or friends to act as mirrors, which essentially means that they're going to, you know, reflect and help refract, you know, certain things that uh, you may not see in yourself. So I, I found that extremely helpful. I, I hope you guys go go back and, and listen to those three introspective questions. Again, pause it, uh, rewind it, and really sit down and jot those things out. I think that's extremely imper- important for all of us to do is to identify our purpose and how that purpose can be impactful. So, you know, I I parked on both of those two things because obviously spiritual and mental wellness, you can't go on a wellness journey. You can't go on a fitness program. You can't make a lifestyle behavioral change if you don't first do it from the inside out. So in summary of number one, which is mental and spiritual wellness, find ways to align both of those in your daily life. Whatever that means for you, dig deep, go on a journey and figure out what you can do to better align those and help you find your your passion, which can positively outflow into a better mental and positive outlook. Pushing forward, number two is cardiovascular health. Do you want to be healthy? If you want to be healthy, you got to take care of the engine. You got to make sure that your heart and your lungs the things that are providing oxygen and nutrients to the rest of your body are well taken care of. Did you know the number one killer in the United States is heart disease? Nearly 650,000 people died from heart disease last year alone. Several health conditions, your lifestyle, your age, and family history can increase your risk for heart disease. So these are called risk factors. So about a half of all Americans... 47% have at least one of three key risk factors for heart disease. And I'm getting this directly off of the CDC's website. One of three key risk factors for heart disease. Number one, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and smoking. Some risk factors for heart disease cannot be controlled, such as your age or family history, but you can take steps to lower your risk by changing the factors you can control, which is high blood pressure. Major risk factor, high blood pressure is for heart disease. It happens when the pressure of that blood in your arteries and the other blood vessels is too high. The pressure is not controlled. It can affect your heart and major other organs of your body, including your kidneys and your brain. High blood pressure is often called a silent killer because it usually has no symptoms. The only way to know whether you have high blood pressure is to measure your blood pressure. You can lower your blood pressure with lifestyle changes or with medicine to reduce the risk for heart disease and heart attack. The other is unhealthy blood cholesterol levels as a risk factor for heart disease. Cholesterol is a waxy fat-like substance made by the liver or found in certain foods. Your liver makes enough for your body's needs, but we can often get more cholesterol from foods that we eat. If we take in more cholesterol than the body can use, the extra cholesterol can build up in the walls of the arteries, including those of the heart. This leads to narrowing of the arteries and can decrease the blood flow to the heart, brain, kidneys, and other parts of the body. 
there are two main types of blood cholesterol. LDL, which is low-density lipoprotein cholesterol, which is considered to be bad cholesterol because it can cause plaque buildup in your arteries, and HDL, which is high-density lipoprotein cholesterol, which is considered to be good cholesterol because higher levels provide some protection against heart disease. High blood cholesterol usually has no signs or symptoms. The only way to know whether you have high cholesterol is to get your cholesterol checked. So I want to encourage every single one of you out there, if you have not had your labs pulled, this is an important part. Um, you know, I, I, I almost talk through this as being a medical fitness platform. You need to have your labs drawn in order to know where your health benchmarks are moving towards. So cholesterol has to be checked through a blood test. Your healthcare team can do a simple uh, test called lipid profile to measure your cholesterol levels. Um, and those are something, the LDL, HDL, total cholesterol, those are all things that um, you can look at and you should get checked out on a regular basis. I know it's been extremely helpful for me to kind of identify certain marks uh, within those cholesterol um, readings that I've had over the last several years to be able to influence different wellness strategies to, to help optimize those numbers and to raise my HDL, lower my LDL, and, and make sure that total cholesterol is right where it needs to be. Diabetes is the other one that's a risk factor. So your body needs glucose for energy. Insulin is a hormone made in the pancreas that helps move glucose from the food you eat to your body's cell for energy. If you have diabetes, your body doesn't make enough insulin and can't use its own insulin as well as it should. Diabetes causes the sugar to build up in the blood. The risk of death from heart disease for adults with diabetes is higher than for adults who do not have diabetes. Talk with your doctor about ways to prevent that. Obesity, excessive body fat. Obesity is linked to higher bad cholesterol and triglyceride levels and to lower good cholesterol levels. Obesity can lead to high blood pressure and diabetes as well as heart disease. Talk with your healthcare team about a plan to reduce weight to a healthy level. So all of these things you can see. So high blood pressure, blood cholesterol, diabetes, obesity, those are all risk factors that you can, through exercise, control. And not getting enough physical activity, ding, 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 can lead to heart disease. It can also increase the chances of having other medical conditions like we just talked about. So, you know, it's this vicious cycle. So it's amazing that we have all of this uh, research. And I'm going to share with you something from the American Health Association and some of the research that's been done through the American College of Sports Medicine and the American Heart Association and all the U.S. Generals, uh, Surgeon General's report on, on physical wellness, which is overwhelmingly positive in reference to regular physical activity, yet one in three Americans do not take advantage of regular physical activity. So I want to park on this because your cardiovascular health, like I said, is the most important thing outside of your mental and spiritual wellness to ensure that your engine is, is moving well, that you're able to uh, efficiently break down certain phys physiological processes and that you're able to transport nutrients and you're able to, to just keep the, the machine, for lack of better terms, well greased. So over the past four decade, decades, this is what I stole from the AHA uh, research. Um, this is a collaborative uh, research effort that just kind of gives a summary of some of the benefits of exercise and what they've found over the last four decades. So numerous scientific reports have examined the relationship between physical activity, physical fitness, and cardiovascular health. 
expert panels convened by organizations such as the Center for Disease Control and Prevention CDC, ACSM, American Heart Association, I won't read all of them, along with the 1996 U.S. Surgeon General's Report on Physical Activity and Health, reinforced scientific evidence linking regular physical activity to various measures of cardiovascular health. The prevailing view in these reports is that more active or fit individuals tend to develop less coronary heart disease than their sedentary counterparts. If coronary heart disease develops in active or fit individuals, it occurs at a later age and tends to be less severe. So we talked about how many deaths that we have, a lot attributed to heart disease, almost 650,000. They've found that, you know, documented the, the, the studies that follow large groups of individuals for many years have documented the protective effects of physical activity for a number of non-cardiovascular chronic diseases, such as non-insulin-dependent diabetes, hypertension, osteoporosis, and colon cancer. In contrast, we see a higher rate of cardiovascular events and higher death rate in those individuals with low levels of physical fitness. Even midlife increases in physical activity through change in occupation or recreational activities are associated with a decrease in mortality. Despite this evidence, however, the mass majority of adults in the United States remain effectively sedentary. Less than one-third, like we said before, of Americans meet the minimal recommendations for activity activity as outlined by the CDC, ACSM, and AHA. Woo! So, uh, you know, obviously, you know, that was a lot to, uh, to probably take in, but hopefully you guys are seeing that overwhelmingly for a long time, we've had so much research linked to regular physical activity and lowering the controllable risk factors of cardiovascular disease and yet, cardiovascular disease is still the number one killer of all people in the United States. And, you know, showing that the stats are showing that less than one-third of Americans meet the minimal recommendations of activity is just, it's embarrassing. And, you know, I think it should be a challenge for all of us that are on this platform to just be an inspiration for other people. The chances are that if you're listening to this, it's because you take a, a very kind liking to your own personal wellness and whether you're on that contemplation curve or you're actually moving or you're trying to take your your training and exercise to the next level you know the bottom line is that we all should be sharing this with someone because there's a good chance based upon those statistics that there are some people that we're interacting with that need to hear the benefits of regular exercise and need to figure out how they can get moving to decrease their risk for heart disease so benefits of regular exercise on cardiovascular risk factors. We're not going to beat this to death, but increase in exercise tolerance is one reduction in body weight, reduction in blood pressure, reduction in bad cholesterol and increase in good cholesterol, increase in insulin sensitivity. There are a number of physiological benefits of exercise. Two examples are improvements in muscular function and strength and improvement in the body's ability to take in and use oxygen, maximal oxygen consumption or aerobic capacity. As one's ability to transport and use oxygen improves, regular daily activities can be performed with less fatigue. This is particularly important for patients with cardiovascular disease whose exercise capacity is typically lower than that of healthy individuals. There is also evidence that exercise training improves the capacity of the blood vessels to dilate in response to exercise or hormones consistent with better vascular wall function and an improved ability to provide oxygen to the muscles during exercise. Studies measuring muscular strength and flexibility before and after 
exercise program suggests that there are improvements in bone health and an ability to perform daily activities, as well as a lower likelihood of developing back pain and of disability, particularly in older age groups. I found this extremely interesting here. Patients with newly diagnosed heart disease who participate in an exercise program report an earlier return to work and improvements in other measures of quality of life, such as more self-confidence, lower stress, and less anxiety. Importantly, by combining controlled studies, researchers have found that for heart attack patients who participated in a formal exercise program, the death rate is reduced by 20 to 25%. This is strong evidence in support of physical activity for patients with heart disease. So even though we're talking about the benefits of proactively taking away heart disease, research even shows that through graded exercise and and graded uh, cardiovascular work that you can actually improve your heart disease and reduce your death rate. So how much exercise is enough? For years, we went by the Surgeon General's report because it in the late 90s, historically, that was one of the, the biggest historical times in American history where there was the biggest focus on physical activity and health and how that can help to redefine, you know, a key component of, of health promotion and disease prevention. And, you know, based upon all of those findings and the reports in the late 90s, the General, Surgeon General essentially came up with a recommendation with the CDC and the American College of Sport. Uh, sports medicine with a consensus statement and basically stating and reporting that they agreed that the benefits mentioned above will generally occur by engaging in at least 30 minutes of modest activity on most, preferably all, days of the week. Modest activity is defined as any activity that is similar in intensity to brisk walking at a rate of about three to four miles per hour. These activities can include any other form of occupation or recreational activity that is dynamic in nature and of similar intensity such as cycling, yard work, and swimming. This amount of exercise equates to approximately 5 to 7 30-minute sessions per week at an intensity equivalent to 3 to 6 METs, which is essentially the multiples of the resting metabolic rate. You can Google that. Or approximately 600 to 1,200 calories extended per week. Note that the specific phrase 30 minutes of accumulated activity is used in the above mentioned reports. It's been shown that repeated intermittent or short bouts of activity such as 10 minutes that include occupation and recreational activity or the tasks of daily living have similar cardiovascular and other health benefits if performed at the moderate intensity level with an accumulated duration of at least 30 minutes per day. People who already meet these standards will receive additional benefits from more vigorous activity. So essentially... You know, that's a lot of mumbo jumbo to say that we should just be exercising and training on a regular basis. And for all of you, this platform, that is very basic. You know, talking about occupational and recreational things to get your heart rate up, very basic. You know, those are things when I was talking about training or the the, the activities outside of your training program, those activities alone could be considered, you know, cardio protective in nature just by walking and increasing your activity. But all of you are a step higher than that in regards to wanting a little bit more for yourself and creating a level of discipline training that allows you to essentially hit every single bucket. So I hope you, you've you enjoyed uh, the cardiovascular portion. At least this highlights the importance. I know for me, I shared with you guys about 
10 weeks ago, I started running and I've been running three times a week for the last 10 weeks, almost going on three months now. And I noticed three months ago that I wasn't very structured with my cardiovascular health and having the knowledge base that I do, it was, it was a little bit scary knowing that, you know, I strength train three to four times a week. You know, I do flexibility training, but I wasn't necessarily getting my heart rate up to levels that were going to give me optimal health benefits. And so making that change has really, really propelled me into having a better outlook. You know, I just, I can't tell you all the, the positive benefits that have went into it, but reading and digging into this research again, and I've read this so many times within my fields of study and, and just throughout the years of being in health and wellness, and yet I still needed to be reminded of all of the benefits of focusing on cardiovascular health. So I hope that that helps you to be encouraged as well to get going and get your heart rate up. You know, go back and listen to the target heart rate zone if you if you haven't listened to that episode, and that'll give you some encouragement on how to calculate your target heart rate zone. And for most of you out there that are questioning whether or not you're healthy or not, or not, I strongly recommend you go to a physician and get cleared before you do any type of exercising. If you have any doubt, you need to get cleared. Um, so as we push forward into the next segment, the next topic is hydration. And I know we've talked a little bit about this on previous episodes, but the importance of hydration and drinking enough water each day, it's, it's crucial for many reasons. Number one, to regulate body temperature, keep your joints lubricated, prevent infections, deliver nutrients to cells, and keep organs functioning properly. Being well hydrated also improves sleep quality, cognition, and mood. Experts recommend drinking roughly 11 cups of water per day for the average woman and 16 for men. And not all of those cups have to come from plain water. For example, some can come from water flavored with fruit or vegetables, lemons, berries, cucumber slices, coffee, tea, you know, whatever you're getting your fluid intake from. Now, I will say that, you know, one way that, um, you know, I've always heard that the eight cups of eight ounces forever. And then I went to a sports nutritionist who told me to essentially monitor how many times I'm going to the bathroom, how many times you're peeing. And that's a great way to see how hydrated you are as well, making sure you have that natural kidney filtration process every one to two hours. So highly encourage uh, all of us to, to really think and, and consider and come up with a water log if, if you haven't done that before to get a better idea of how much you're actually drinking. And one of the tips that I had on Build a Better Brain um, segment was essentially making sure that you're not starting your day with a deficit of hydration and you're not going to bed with a deficit. If you can control those two extremes and you do a really good job throughout the day, then you're going to have a great opportunity to, to stay status quo and maintain that homeostasis when it comes to hydration. Some things that do happen though, when, when you're dehydrated, your body tends to go into a primitive state and it tends to think that it's never going to get water again. So you go through all these physiological processes that will retain water and do different things that can naturally over time not be very good for your health. You'll see a lot of times with older people, some of the things that happen is chronic dehydration where they have a ton of different electrolyte imbalances and it ends up turning into kidney and cardiac issues. And as soon as they can correct those hydration issues, those other issues go away. So for all of us, you know, being tuned in to how much we're drinking from a water standpoint is huge. For all of us on this platform, you know, with us exercising and sweating and being extremely active, you know, there are recommendations that if we have endurance activities that last an hour or longer, that electrolyte replacement drinks are a good choice. 
Water by far though, all the time is the best choice for staying hydrated. So basically, you know, make sure that you're, you're monitoring how much you're drinking. If you're going out on long endurance runs, you know, you want to get in the habit of understanding how much you're sweating and making sure that you're, you're processing the amount of outtake and fluids with intake and water after you're done. And if it's more than an hour, you know, get that electrolyte uh, replacement beverage going for you. Pushing forward into nutrition. This is another one I'm not going to beat up. But we've talked about this before. Everyone is nutrition is so individual, so you can't make blanket statements about nutrition. But in general, if you look at the research, you can't go wrong with fruits and vegetables, lean proteins, fish, and and looking at complex versus short-acting carbohydrates. And yeah, I think the biggest thing is is that you have to get in the mindset of eating a nutrient-dense diet, which essentially means that you're eating a different several different types of varieties of food. And this is something that I think is also important to take a food lock on and to take into account is to see what different types of foods that you're eating throughout the weeks and how nutrient dense they are. There's some free platforms out there that you can actually plug your, your food logs into and it'll spit out your macro and micronutrients in regards to the amount of fat, protein, carbohydrates that you're eating all the way down to you know some of the vitamins and minerals that you may be eating within some of those nutrient-dense foods. Staying away from processed foods, saturated foods, those are things that are going to clog your arteries. They, uh, they have very false and, uh, and, and empty um, caloric-type intake because they don't have the nutrients that those natural fruits and vegetables or lean proteins or complex carbohydrates do. So those are some things that I would encourage every single one of you, if you are very serious about this wellness journey, you know, we've talked already about mental wellness, we talked about hydration, now nutrition. Hydration is more important than nutrition because of the fact if you're dehydrated, it doesn't matter how much food you have, your body's not going to be able to break down and transport those nutrients. So hydration has to trump nutrition, but it's right side by side with it. So you need to make sure that you're you're making good choices. I won't even get into alcohol intake on this. This is probably it's probably a separate segment we could have all in itself. But you know, being mindful of what alcohol does to your hydration levels as well, um, you know, and, and to your nutrition as well is is extremely important. But I want to encourage every one of you on your nutrition journey to if you haven't, go get a consult. If you have the opportunity to do so, if you know you don't have any known allergies, just get on and, and look up lean options to increase your fruit and vegetable intake and increase the quality of, of nutrient-dense food that you have. Do that food log, plug it into one of those free platforms, and just get a basis and a baseline for where you are at with your everyday eating. Number five on the Sports Squire order of wellness operations is the neuromuscular portion of your wellness plan. And I put neuromuscular number five in front of number six musculoskeletal for a reason. And the big thing is we've always said that there's a big thing out there that talks about neuro drives the ortho, which is your bones and muscles. Your central nervous system is essentially in a nutshell, your brain and your spinal cord and the ability of that electrical circuitry to be able to integrate and innovate, integrate, innervate into those muscles and and allow you to refine movements, coordination, have energy efficiency, 
efficiency, reference of correctness from loading perspective, the neuro drives that musculoskeletal system. And, you know, what I want to focus on is that that activation, that repetition, the postural indications of awareness are extremely important to, to getting into any type of wellness program. And it can't just be a focus of improving strength, strength and flexibility. So a lot of ways to do that. And just to give you guys, uh, you know, a, a breath of fresh air, I am going to dive into each one of these orders of operations as we move on to cons- subsequent, um, you know, episodes on Sports Squire. But I just want to to park on the neuromuscular facet and how important that neuromuscular system is to your overall wellness. I think you can look at, you know, several different uh, diagnoses and pathologies. And, and in my field of physical therapy, you know, there's several times where you've seen individuals with Parkinson's disease, Huntington's disease, um, you know, maybe stroke, um, different types of, of um, what we call neuro-based um, injuries that can happen and affect, you know, essentially your brain and your spinal cord. And you start to see what the importance of those movements are. And there's no way to strength train, you know, someone who's had a stroke and is now spastic, you know, on one side, you know, it's, it's very hard in some individuals who are past that point of plasticity or past that point of window to strengthen them up to where they were previously. So that's what I mean by the neuromuscular system, you know, trumping the the musculoskeletal system. We have to make sure that we're staying healthy with that and and naturally that's not something that you really have to to be too concerned about but you know one of the things we'll dive into in future episodes is is you know this idea of neurogenesis and you know your brain staying healthy and doing new activities and creating you know unstructured unpredictable environments that you can continue to move through and create a level of challenge for your brain and and the, the circuitry of that electricity that's moving and innervating those muscles so that you can refine movements, you can help with your reaction time, you can keep things sharp from um, you know a balanced perspective, which is something that if you don't use, you tend to lose as you get older. So won't beat that up too much, but the neuromuscular side of things is one that I'm going to really look forward to, to getting into and, and explaining how all of you can, can more deeply impact you know, that within your order of wellness operations. Number six, musculoskeletal. So this is the easy one. This is the one that is the bread and butter that we talk about on a regular basis. This is your strengthening, your flexibility. This is, you know, having, you know, physical activity-based, functional activity-based exercises. These are the things that all of us are usually used to from a strength training standpoint. So, you know, it's extremely important um, to be able to, to maintain range of motion, maintain flexibility, and to have a, a, a level of strength. And those are all things that I think can have a positive impact on some of the other previous orders of wellness operations. And this is what's so neat about this stack of, of operations is that you can go up and down. And the prioritization, yes, while you know I'm making this in, in regards to making you feel comfortable and confident of where you should spend your your emphasis and your time to get the quickest improvement in your personal wellness. At the same time, if you can get this musculoskeletal piece down as well, it will benefit you and, and the other areas, the neuromuscular, the nutrition, um, hydration, cardiovascular, just by being disciplined and doing these things, 
that the more that you do, the more that you accomplish, the more that you check off, the more you are going to get used to that level of achievement and you're going to crave you know, getting a level of, of things done on a regular basis, whether that's the dirty dishes in your sink or, or whatever that may be. But moving on, last one is number seven and recovery. So there's a couple different things. You can look at active versus passive recovery. We talked about active recovery days on the last episode. So I want you to go back and reference active recovery days. We'll probably have some other, uh, you know, segments in the future that can give alternative ways outside of some of those uh, principles and exercises and, and emphasis points in regards to your recovery. Passive recovery is essentially, you know, just physically resting and, you know, taking time off. You know, there there is, um, you know, some benefit to doing that. And that can also lead into essentially your mental uh, wellness as well. I think anytime you're coming out of a sporting event or you're coming out of a high, highly stress, high stress, high intensity type training or workout, there needs to be some level of mental um, de-escalation to allow you to relax. So I think planning certain activities for mental relaxation is huge for your recovery. We've talked about, again, how this loops back into um, some of the other things as well, like hydration and nutrition, which are a big part of your recovery as well as sleep. And uh, I did a quick clip recap of the 10 benefits of sleep and how you can get in a better routine. And I just want to encourage you to go back and listen to that as well. But in a nutshell, those are the seven orders of wellness operations. Those are the things that I want you to focus on and to be able to take you know, an audit of to see how you're doing and what areas that you need to address you know, more emphatically in order to have higher levels of success and to gain some momentum. Let's get that snowball moving and let's, let's get down the hill. Let's build it up and build it up and build it up. And I think if you can start at the top and just move through each one, I think you're going to see that your incentive and your momentum and your um, your brain's way of rewarding you is going to be highly on alert. You're going to get the flow of all those endorphins that are going to help you to feel like you want to come back. You're going to have a more positive outlook. So go through, in summary, number one, spiritual mental, number two, cardiovascular, number three, hydration, number four, nutrition, number five, neuromuscular, number six, musculoskeletal, and number seven, recovery. Those are the Sports Squire order of wellness operations, and I hope you find them helpful to allow you to align the knowledge that you're getting out of these segments and help you to spin into some sort of action. If you haven't done something today, Get it going and plan for your activity for tomorrow and for the next day and the next week. Make out a four to six week plan that's going to address these things and set those in stone. Put them on your calendar. Shoot me an email and let me know how you're doing. Brad Howell, DPT at gmail.com. B-R-A-D-H-O-W-E-L-L-D-P-T at gmail.com. I'd love to hear stories. I'd love to hear people that are, are you know, just down and out and struggling and maybe could use a little bit of uh, you know encouragement or some resources on how to get on a better wellness journey. That's what I'm here for. Hope you're enjoying the platform. We'll talk to you again next week and have a great rest of your week. Thank you for listening to the Sports Squire podcast. Check out the show notes for anything you missed during today's episode. Click subscribe if you haven't already to ensure you get updates on the latest Sports Squire episodes. And remember, as a Sports Squire, your greatest self is found at the intersection of knowledge and action. Don't be normal, be a Sports Squire.